The following podcast may contain adult themes and strong language, like bedswerver and Mongol bitch. They were old friends called Max and Mitch, and they didn't know what to do. So they pushed themselves to understand another human's point of view. The fear of growing gray and old with walking sticks and dentures. As emboldened them to take the horns of life's curious adventures They vow to pass no judgment, they seek no greater claim They just want to find the common thread that proves we're all the same Now pay attention motherfuckers, if you follow them down this road You might hear things unconventional and not quite Alamo Be sure your hearts are open and your minds are Ah, fuck this Can we just start the show? How much are you paying me for this? Um, oh, we, sorry, recording I just came out of my trance <laughs> Hello, mate, welcome Hello. back I'm just really spiritual since last week I wish you wouldn't week. do that I've been sat here for the last four hours watching you slow breathe I've been connecting to the spirit world again Stop <laughs> I'm being sarcastic Your mind's eye is well and truly open, isn't it? So open Mm. I can see too much. Yes, you've been told about that mind's eye being open. You've got a wandering mind's eye. <laughs> Dirty mind's eye. Have you been sitting in a power? No, not going to lie, I didn't. Just sitting in the shower, no. crying. <laughs> There's a song in there. So I was going to sing it, but I didn't. Don't, for, yeah. for the best that you don't. Yeah. Um, okay, so uh, we hope that you guys are enjoying us so far. I'm singing everything at the moment. And none of it sounds like a good song. (laughs) But we are on our first shared episode today, Max. Woohoo! There's no reveal today. There's no big envelope. Well, there is a reveal. We're revealing to them what we're doing. Ah, yeah, you guys. Uh, So today, well, well, I'm going to just reveal it then. Today we're going to Omnibus Theatre, which is in Clapham, in Mm -hmm. London, southwest London. Mm -hmm. But there's an event. It's not even a word. There is a vent, obviously, because that's how they get air in there. (laughs) There's an event. (laughs) There's an event. Called, so this is what happened, and what happens? Well, so, so this is what happened. No, this is what happens. So this is what happens. No, it's not, it's this is what happened. Yeah, the event's called, so this is what happened. (laughs) So this is what happens at the event. People come, and essentially what happens is people who You can't leave it, people come. Mitchell! (laughs) Yeah, but they, you don't know. Well, actually, that that is true, we don't know. (laughs) Um, okay, so people submit themselves to tell a 10-minute story of yeah. their choosing. And the rules are that it has to be about them. Yeah. It has to be a story that is their own personal experience. And it can be absolutely anything, but they have to talk for 10 minutes in front of a room full of strangers. Now, I just I just want to... We're going to be listening in on... Well, not listening in in a voyeuristic sense. But the people are there as an audience. We're going to be in the audience, yeah. And then we're going to hopefully... Talk to these people about why they want to why they want to share personal stories in front of uh, strangers. Could you do this? What they're about to do tonight? Oh, no, I don't know. I think it would be really difficult, mm. really hard, especially if it's personal. If it's you know, if it's emotional. Yeah, I'd just I'd just tell jokes to try and cover up the fact that I was dead inside, yeah, or, or crying out for something. Yeah. So, so. <laughs> let's, so let's get along there then. Let's go. Let's you'll go. find out. We don't honestly know any more about it than what we've just told you. No. So no. you'll find out as we find out. 
So this is a very shared adventure. We're in the dark, metaphorically and literally, because <laughs> yeah. there, there are no lights We're trying here. to save money on electricity yeah, bills. Yeah. <laughs> this microphone takes up all the energy. The electricity could be cut off at any minute. All the flats are out. <laughs> okay, we'll see you there. Here we are. Here we are, Clapham Omnibus. Omnibus Theatre, mm. which was previously Clapham Library, according to that plaque. Um, what do you reckon to this place? It does look like a library, doesn't it? Yeah, it's cool, it's nice, it's welcoming. L lots of interesting characters going through the doors already. Mmm, so some of these people will be telling the stories and some of them will just be watching. Yeah, I think I think there are six. There are six people who have been lined up. That's right. Mm. Yeah, we've it's got it's a packed roster, isn't it? <laughs> it's a veritable feast of Clapham talent. <laughs> so, do you reckon they're all locals? Do you um, think people come far and wide here? I, I think people come far and wide. I I'd mean, like I think to think so. To tell their stories. So what's, is there a general theme to tonight, do you think? Or is, it seems like well, it's just kind of random. I think it's just anyone with a story to tell. I love that. Lucky they didn't ask us, because I can't think of anything. What would you, what would you have said? Uh, I probably would have told a story about the time that uh, I was in a gym, and this bloke came up to me, and he said, uh, <laughs> said hi, mate, uh, I'm a masseuse working in the area. Uh, would you like a sports massage? And I was like, it's a weird thing to do, to approach someone while they're in their skivvies. I was told that I should be a more open, accepting person to never, you know, I, I believe, never look a gift horse in the mouth. But I went against my own beliefs on this and went along and the guy was, well, he had other ideas. It wasn't a sports massage. That's not a sport. Unless like, maybe Is this real? a little bit like croquet. <laughs> Yeah. Is this real? Yeah, very real. Oh, God. Yeah, very awkward. It's a difficult thing when a man presents himself in his briefs to massage you and you say, No! Was he hot? Not now. He was a good-looking guy. I'll give it to him. You should, you should have I didn't give it to him. That's the point. <laughs> so that would be my story. Okay. Obviously, I'd stretch it right out and I'd build up the suspense. Also, uh, you know, if you're out there, mate... Get in touch. <laughs> you regret every second With a counsellor, because there's no way that you should be doing it. My story, which I thought about a lot, uh, and it was difficult to decide what to actually do that was interesting and sort of provocative, funny, whatever. I would tell the story about the time that I went to this gym and there was this guy there who looked like he needed a sports massage. <laughs> And basically, like, he looked really, really gay. That's why you've grown the basically, beard. he was giving me a wink, and I was like... That was my mind's eye, mate. I just pretended Stop. to be a sports masseuse. You're a, <laughs> you're a horrible, horrible person. Should we go in? Yeah, come on in. Let's get in there, because I reckon it's going to start in a bit. Yeah. Welcome to So This Is What Happened in Omnibus. This amazing building used to be a library. So... Uh, words are embedded in the brickwork. Um, it's, it was a library for about a hundred years, then it was in danger of closure, and somebody, and I'm not quite sure who, decided it, this mustn't happen. And I think there was, a, there was a bit of a campaign in the area to save the building. And, uh, and clearly it has been a great success, and now it's um, the home of theatre, music, jazz, classical, folk, and our wonderful storytelling event tonight. I just want to say that, um, that there, there are only really two rules about So This Is What Happened. One is that the story must be, you, must be your story. So it, it can't be your cousin's story or something that you heard on the bus. It, it must be something that actually you are the main character in this story. And the other rule is 
the 10-minute rule. So mm. the stories ideally should, be, should fit within that time frame. So um, our first storyteller this evening is Heather Waring. She now takes women on transformational walks uh, along ancient paths such as the uh, Camino de Santiago. And this is her story. I'm naturally broken into two and I'm leading the back group. We've got into the habit of picking some feature in the distance and then getting to that and allowing ourselves to get our breath together before we move on again. I look up, I think we can get to the midpoint. People nod and I start off. The steps are steep and high and there's no uniformity at all. So it's really hard to get any kind of momentum going. I need all the energy I have and also lots and lots of oxygen. And actually my walking poles have come in really handy as levers that help me climb up to the next step. We gather at the midpoint, we gulp in the air and we allow our heart rates to calm down again and our breathing to return to normal. We can make it to the top this time. I climb up and up using every morsel of, of strength that I can muster and I finally step up and onto that flat slab of rock. I take a deep breath and I gaze out. And you know, for a split second, I don't even see it. And then suddenly I realize that I have arrived. Because down below me in the middle distance is the site that I have wanted to see for years. I've looked at it in books, in television programs, in photographs, and I've wanted to see it for myself. And suddenly I'm here because I'm standing on the sun gate and I'm looking down at Machu Picchu. And as if in celebration, the clouds part and the sun bathes this iconic sight in its ethereal light. I shiver. There's a saying that goes, it's not, life is not measured by the number of breaths that you take, <coughs> but by the moments that take your breath away. And this indeed was one of those moments. Thank you. Um, our next storyteller is Ola Aralepo. Um, he's a, an award-winning public speaker. Uh, he's also a coach and trainer in public speaking, as well as being a counsellor uh, in schools. And Ola is going to tell us his story. I am really delighted to be here tonight. I love performing. I once told my dad, Papa, when I grow up, I want to be an actor. He looked at me and said, mm -mm 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 -mm. <laughs> it's pronounced doctor. <laughs> and this lesson is that some people genuinely believe that they were born with the right to always be right. And how do I know this? I'll tell you, thanks for asking. <laughs> Until recently, I was working for London Underground at Holland Park Station as a customer service assistant. Just by show of hands, does anybody actually 
live or work in Holland Park? Raise your hands. <laughs> yeah, okay. No. But I, oh, you do, okay. Anyway, disclaimer before I go on. Hashtag not all customers. <laughs> but seriously speaking, what do you do when you're confronted with somebody who genuinely believes that they were born with the right to always be right? Now, it was one morning in November 2016. I was on the morning shift, and I was sitting in the assistance box. I don't know if you know that one that looks like um, Dr. Who's TARDIS. <laughs> that's what we staff call it anyway, because that's where we carry out our time travel. <laughs> Reflecting on questions like, how did I end up here? <laughs> what happened to my life? <laughs> And out of the corner of my eye, I spotted him walk into the station, His Majesty the customer. <laughs> Looking like a feudal lord about to inspect the servants' quarters. Now years had prepared me for this moment. Years of customer service brainwashing. I mean training. <laughs> Hello, can I help you? He took one look at me as if I was a specimen. <laughs> and pointed at the ticket machine. 12 pounds for a one day travel card. <laughs> you must be taking us for a ride. <laughs> and he carried on and said, I'm not paying that because I wasn't born yesterday. And I thought to myself, well, that's a shame because if you were, you would have traveled for free. <laughs> and sometimes you are going to be confronted with people who are going to give you an alternative truth. Nowadays, we're confronted with that anyway. Fake news, alternative realities. People are going to call you names that are not even on your birth certificate. And it's very tempting. <laughs> it's very tempting to assert your rights to be right. But sometimes, you just have to let it go. Otherwise, you're going to spend a long, long, long chunk of your life trying to state the stupidly obvious to the obviously stupid. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, our next storyteller is Fayon Dixon. She's a presenter on radio and TV, as well as being a coach, and also she runs creative workshops for stroke survivors. This is Fayon's story. First of all, I have two envelopes. Story one and story two. So who would like to pick which story I'm going to tell? You would, okay. Which one? Do you want story one or story two? Two. You want two? Okay. Open it up, tell me what it says. New York. New York. Excellent. I'm thinking every now and again, I'd like to travel for free. So I decided to put it out to the universe, I want a first class flight. And I got one. I'm like, Please, I want a little bit of that. So, okay, I'm going to dedicate that the next year. I'm going to get a free flight. I don't know where it's going to come from, but I'm just going to put it out to the universe. Sure. So, that was get to the gate, shut. I'm like, what's this? So, I go back to the gate. Excuse me, I was supposed to be on the nine o'clock, no, 11 o'clock flight to New York. They're like, oh, that gate's shut now. Excuse me, what now? That gate, that gate's shut, but no, 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 no. I'm supposed to be on that flight. Um, oh, no, 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 that's definitely... You've got to get me on that flight. My friend Lisa has organised for a guy to meet me now at Newark Airport because she's like, girlfriend, you cannot miss the next flight. I said, I won't miss the next flight. Who misses two flights in the same day? <laughs> <laughs> to the other end. 
it was amazing. I also met a guy, a guy called Tim, and guess what? He got me back there in New York in November, another free flight. <laughs> so our next story is from Lucy Hall. Lucy is, um, well, multi-talented. She's an author, or a soon-to-be-published author. Um, she's a contributor to a book called Simply Women, which is 30 inspirational stories of women who've overcome the odds. And she's a singer-songwriter. And Lucy is about to tell her story. I thought to myself, you know what, I'm so fed up with this. I'm so fed up with this. It's rules my life. I want to overcome this. And you know what? I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm going to beat this. I'm going to do whatever it takes. So I'm going to face my fear. I'm going to do the thing that scares me the most. I'm sitting there like this. What's that? Next thing, I hear this voice in my head. Stand-up comedy. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're joking. I think maybe you said, play a melody. Stand-up comedy. I was like, I said, when I, when I said I was going to do the thing that scares me the most, I didn't actually mean the thing that scares me the most. <laughs> I meant in that region, you know, like, I happily jump out an aeroplane. What about that? Stand-up comedy. So I go out and I find the stand-up comedy course. And I go to the first class and I'm just like, excruciatingly in pain, dying. Like, why doesn't the earth just open up and swallow me? I'd rather that happen than have to do this. But I survived it. I went to the second class, I went to the third class. The moment comes, and, da, 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 and here's Lucy Debbie Hall. And I come on to the stage, and I just look out, and I just start laughing. Because I'm here, I'm in that moment, I'm facing my fear, and I was feeling my body, it was not like this, it was like, wow. I was so proud of myself. I did the set, and the thing is, some people laughed and some people didn't. And it was okay, you know, all that what if, what if, what if. Yeah, some people laughed, some people didn't, I survived it. And I was so proud of myself. And at the end we got this, we got this certificate, right? <laughs> and it says, this is to certify that Lucy Hall has successfully completed the stand-up comedy novices course. That's what it says, right? This is written on it. But to me, what it says on that is, Lucy Debbie Hall, you are a badass, amazing, powerful, courageous woman who can face fear, who can look at fear in the eye and do whatever you want. That's what that says to me. The final story today is uh, from Robert Taylor. Robert is a photographer. He was uh, born in Birmingham and has had a very varied career in uh, the British Air Force. Um, he was also uh, in educational publishing in Nigeria and is a qualified barrister. And this is his story. Um, yes, I discovered my niche about 10 years ago, um, amazing women achieving in all sorts of fields. And I feel very comfortable in it. It's a very inspiring thing to do. But I'm really glad that a few years ago I had an, an experience that really gave me a jolt. It wasn't to do with that kind of work. It was something completely unexpected that cropped up. And it's taught me to just 
remember, you don't always know the consequences of things that you're up to when you think you're doing your, your normal activity. So about five or six years ago, a, an old friend of mine, a playwright, very excitedly called me up to say, you know, I don't know why I'd never said this to you before, but there's a friend of mine I really want you to meet. I think you two would get on so well. And literally two or three days later, another friend who had nothing to do with the original friend, didn't know anything about him, was in a completely different field of work, said almost exactly the same thing. And they were talking about, they were talking about the same person. And this person is called Tim. And I was quite excited by this. And before even knowing very much more, my juices were already flowing. I was thinking, I've got to find a way to photograph this person and interview him and draw out the things in the way that I normally do. And it turns out that although I hadn't met Tim before, he'd actually been part of my life in one way or another for over 30 years. He'd been a nightclub promoter in my clubbing days and had been one of the organisers of one of the seminal really funky nights, I thought at the time. He'd also written for and edited magazines of various kinds and obviously had a great writing skill and had also been a senior uh, uh, official in uh, NGOs to do with HIV prevention, which is something else I'm very interested in. So I thought, wow, we're going to have a lot to talk about. One of the reasons, perhaps the key reason for the urgency of these two friends saying you must meet Tim, is the fact that he was coming very close to the end of a three-year bout of incredibly awful health with different kinds of cancer and then MRSA on the top of it. And basically the health professionals had done all that they could do for him and he knew he had between four and eight weeks to live. So. It made, in one sense, my mission to meet him and photograph him even more urgent, but it was going to need some very sensitive handling. Now, as it happened, my playwright friend had a play on about a week after this announcement, so he said, come on the night that Tim's going to be there, and all being well, if he's strong enough, you can talk about it and, you know, explore things. So the night came, there was Tim, and the excitement sort of fell away and it was more a sense of sinking and, and anxiety and all the rest of it when I saw the look of him. He was obviously shriveled and had been very ill and was a little lost in his clothes. Gaunt. The eyes were warm and friendly and definitely saying come hither but there was also sadness and all the wear and tear of what he'd been through. And I sort of knew my big idea of really going for the big photo shoot and the intimate interview about everything he'd been going through, that wasn't going to be appropriate at all. So I bottled it. I'd sort of alluded to the possibility that it might have been nice to do some photographs and sort of drifted away. Two weeks later, I was back in London. I lived in Oxford at the time. And I was actually in London to do a big commercial shoot with a posh, dysfunctional family. <laughs> <laughs> and that done, loaded my kit back into my car, and I was about to head home, and I, I started thinking about Tim again. I thought, no, I'm going to ring him and just see if I can have the conversation that I bottled at the theatre. And to my surprise, he was very pleased to hear from me, because 
I guess he knew what it was going to be about. And my idea was if I could just get into the apartment and chat with him, we could explore the possibility of doing something together. Anyway, I turned up. I took my camera bag in, only because it was too precious to leave in the car, but, you know, was being really kind of discreet, not wanting him to think I'd assumed anything was going to happen. And we talked. And he seemed actually open to the idea of an investigation of what he'd been through. So I said, well, how about we do something now? Camera? And yes, and this is a man who was known to be camera-phobic, and although he'd done lots of things to promote and celebrate other people, he did not like being the centre of attention, but he was open to it. And as I looked around the apartment, it was this beautiful, uh, minimally decorated designer apartment with hardly any furniture, and beside him was this big vase of flowers, sort of dying, with a designer light casually throwing beautiful shadows up on this bare wall. And it was just the, the metaphor for the whole situation. I thought, no, I've got to do this. So I said, OK, Tim, here's the thing. I can create a really gentle photo session we can explore. I'd also like to ask you some really well, quite nosy questions about what you've been through and what it's been like. How do you feel about that? And he said, well, tell me the questions. Let's discuss it and see how we go. So I completed the photography. He asked me to write the questions down and leave them with him, which I did. So left him alone with the questions, drove back to Oxford with the intention of calling him in about 10 days to see how he felt about the pictures I'd sent him and how he'd done with the questions. So 10 days later, I called him up. And I was expecting him to be all sort of euphemisms for, God, that was dreadful. How did I let you do this to me? Quite the contrary. He was chipper. He was bouncy. Quite joyful about what he was looking at in the photographs, which was incredible for me, just the relief that I hadn't given him a trauma. And uh, he said, come over, because I want to talk to you about the questions that you put to me. And they were, the questions were obviously things about how he felt about who he was now, the ravages of the disease, relationships, how he wanted to be remembered, all sorts of things like that. So we sat down. He first told me that he'd been spending lots of time showing the pictures to all sorts of people who were coming to visit him, many probably for the last time. And when he got over all that excitement, he then said, right, let's look at the questions. And this is when it really hit me. This man was so brave and so authentic in the way that he'd answered my questions. It was so raw, so, so really, he fought so hard to dig down. And it turned out that in the 10 days between our seeing each other, he'd gone to Switzerland to visit a very old friend, and it was going to be their last weekend together. And they'd actually spent most of the weekend having deep conversations about how he would answer those questions as honestly as possible. Now, unfortunately tonight, there isn't time to go into the detail of those questions, but I'll come back to them later on. So I'm sitting there, kind of blasted by the honesty and feeling quite emotional, but also thrilled that he's just been so honest. And he says to me, Robert, we've got to do something with this. I don't just want to just have these here. I think we could turn this into something that Certainly my friends, my associates, and perhaps other people could see, because this is really something I want to share. Then he picks the phone up to one of his old mates in publishing, editor of one of the big fashion magazines, and says, I'm going to be sending you in two days page layouts and photographs for a book that I want you to oversee the printing and generation of, a few dozen copies. Can you take care of that? And they obviously did. And then I left him kind of 
dazed, thinking, wow, the courage. And still not really being able to take in the content of all of his answers, other than that he'd just been so brave. A few weeks passed, Tim grew weaker, and then he eventually died. Then there was an amazing funeral. The throng, the range of talent, the depth of love, the admiration, the variety of people whose lives he touched, it was amazing. And shortly after that, the booklet arrived. And it's one of the things I'm most proud of. Normally in my line of work, it's got to be the biggest, the best, the most fabulous. And, oh, everybody knows all about it. Reviews, the lot. It was just not like that with this. It was just this testament, this investigation, this interrogation of the idea of what it is to be human, to be present in the moment when you know you've got not very long to live. But that even wasn't the best of it. Ten days, maybe two weeks after that, I'm sitting in my study in Oxford, tears streaming down my face, joyful tears, having just read a long, intimate letter from his 85-year-old father, who he'd never been able to get on with. They'd always had a very tense and ultimately quite distant relationship. And here was this 85-year-old man pouring out his heart, expressing his gratitude for the opportunity to finally connect intimately with his son, to understand who he was, how he felt, to understand some of the things he'd done. It was such a tremendous gift, and it actually got me thinking, wow, there is, there is, there is more to this investigating people than, than I ever thought. And I'll leave you with one quote, which is one of the shorter quotes to some very long and involved and intense answers. I asked him, how would you like to be remembered? And it was a very, an unusually simple answer, because some of them are very long and poetical and, 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 and intense. But his answer to the question was, I'd like to be remembered fondly, and I'd like to be forgiven for mistakes that I may have made. And one of the greatest compliments that I've ever had is being told that I was missed. Thank you. So we've, we've, we've come across a friend of mine, Tom Reed Wilson. Listeners might recognise his ridiculous voice. How are you doing, mate? I'm terribly well. What are you doing here? Um, well, this is not my depucillation this evening. I have been to seven of these before. I'm a bit of a groupie. You're a veteran. I am. I'm a veteran. Have you story told here before? I've never story told because... When are you going to do it? When are you going to pop no, that cherry? No, you see, one of the rules in this particular evening is that they have to uh, be about you. And all my good stories are about other people. No, I just come to enjoy. And actually what I love is how few performers do it because what's so magical for me is that you you sort of pass people in the street I think afterwards you pass any Tom, Dick or Sid in the street and you think I wonder what their story is and I've heard ones about saving a brick from the Berlin Wall to um, the world's most outdoorsy woman who swam in Lido's every day of the winter discovering she was allergic to the sun and it changing her whole life. I mean, you would not believe the, the, the range. They run the gamut, these stories, and that's what has made me so totally addicted. I don't, I don't need to ask you questions because you just answer questions. They just want to ask Diarrhea, yeah. I just don't think you want to and plug. For you listeners, want... um, <laughs> they, they must know that both of these hosts are devilishly handsome because 
we, we have this old adage of faces for radio. Well, this is not the case with these boys. Their faces are carved of mother of pearl. I could <laughs> just nestle into him endlessly. Can we cut that and make that a ringtone for yes. me? <laughs> Why does this storytelling event exist? I think, well, there's a whole historical element to storytelling. I mean, most cultures have some kind of element of storytelling in their, in their history. So, you know, people used to gather around fires and tell stories, especially, I suppose, in the winter, actually, candles and firelight. And I think probably as the digi digital world has developed, we're, I don't know whether we're conscious about it, but perhaps we're losing some, or we felt we were losing some of that sitting around in groups telling stories because we can hear stories, you know, we can get on Netflix and we can we can listen to podcasts and we can do lots of other, and there's nothing wrong with any of that. Absolutely those. nothing wrong with the podcast. <laughs> but I think it's lovely to see this emergence of storytelling again and especially in the kind of um, environment that we had tonight where people, individuals, actually come along to hear other individuals in the flesh tell stories. So I just think it's, it's completely different from the world that many young people are actually are brought up in where their storytelling is coming from other places. Long may it continue. There's room for both. But then I started doing, you know, stand-up comedy in the open mic circuit and some of the people who were coming up, you know, some of the rookie comedians, you're thinking, hmm, you should be talking to a counsellor. So there was a kind of... The stage is not what you need. Yeah. As time went on, I noticed that the people who were in counselling and the people who were on stage were trying to do something similar. Mm. They were kind of using humour as a way of addressing, you know, personal painful issues. You know, not all comedians, mm -hmm. obviously, but some. And... And then that's when I got the idea of, hold on a minute, maybe there's something therapeutic about yeah, yeah. humour and storytelling, you know, telling yeah. personal stories in a comical way. Yeah. And actually, I suppose it's easier to tell a personal story in front of a room full of strangers than a room yeah. full of people who you know really well. True, yeah, because <laughs> there's a whole point of, you know, you probably won't have to see them ever again yeah, and yeah, have to yeah. face... Why did I say that? Yeah. Unless yeah. they're making a podcast and they just follow you everywhere. From <laughs> and then it stays online for all yeah, yeah. <laughs> for perpetuity. Yeah, yeah. 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 And because and the, the reason I told I told the story is because it's some you know yeah, personal issues I'm dealing with as well in terms mm. of you know how do I relate to authority and I don't know if you picked that up from the story yeah, it's yeah, about you yeah. know my struggles with authority and some other things as well you know how do I relate to doing a job that I feel I was overqualified to do, do, do and the resentment, or do I really have to take all this from this person? You know, all that stuff yeah. was you know, trying to make sense of it. And yeah, and that's what it Exercise those demons a little bit. Exercise the demons, yeah, that's, in a way. And what brings you here this evening? Well, my friend, uh, Bianca Tate, she got in touch with me by email and said, are you free on the 25th of January? I'm like, yeah. She's like, are you free to come and do this thing, like speak, tell a story for 10 minutes? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and as it's just up the road from me where I live, I thought, well, I've never done anything like this before. Um, I do speak for a living, but this is a different kind of speaking. So I thought I'll give it a go. Yeah, so I've, like you say, you've never done anything like this before. I've never heard of anything like this before. Me there's some really great stories tonight. I mean, they were funny, there was really moving, there were mm. really poignant stories. And for each one, and I've never been here before, but for each story, I was on the edge of my seat. You're, you're telling the story about something that was 
very difficult for you mm. and that was causing a lot of stress and pain in your life that you decided to overcome. Mm -hmm. So then my question is, why do you want to relive that by telling it to a room full of strangers, which in itself is a scary and uncomfortable <laughs> thing to do? <laughs> or is it because you've, do you feel like you've kind of got to grips with the idea that you can stand in front of a room full of strangers and that doesn't scare you anymore? Or does it still scare you? Interesting question, because as you, as you heard me say at the beginning, I don't know why I'm talking about this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because it's like, okay, I'm talking about fear and I'm still scared. I think most people know what they're scared of. Mm. They just never really confront it. Mm. So how do you get to that place where you make yourself do something? That's a good question. To be honest with you, I've worked with a therapist. I've worked with a coach. Mm. So I've done a lot of internal work to go, okay. It's almost like I look at the consequences of buying into this fear like I really put myself I, went, I really kind of dove into that all the things that I didn't do I walked away from like my dream job I walked away from recording albums I walked away from a whole host of things and I was like okay I don't want to do this anymore so really look at the consequences of buying this fear that's not actually real yeah you know because if you look at what you're what you're avoiding what you're losing what you're missing out on if you feel that, that's sad, it's like, that's painful. So, so pain. would you say that fear was the primary reason why you didn't follow through on those things in Definitely. Life? Definitely. You know, and it's interesting because the job that I walked away from, I'm now reapplying. Right. And I'm actually, I told them everything. I said, look, this is what happened last time. This is what I, feel. I still feel it. But I'm just, I'm going to tell you this time. Last time I didn't tell them. Mm. So that's the other thing actually, is talk about, tell someone. Because mm. a lot of time people feel shame because they feel fear. Yeah. And they don't actually expose it. Mm. So it's this dirty little secret. So the more you expose it and talk about it with your friends or whoever, mm. like that, that, I think that helps a lot because then it's not this thing that's hidden away. Yeah, yeah. And also you get a lot of, oh my God, me too. Yeah. yeah I feel scared. And then you're not so alone with it, you know? I learned through various projects in the last few years that death is part of life rather than this awful thing that happens when you've done everything else to avoid it. To me, it's being aware of it enriches the sense of being alive. What I loved about Tim's generosity and being open to my inquiries was he saw it as an opportunity to turn his rather sad decline into something vibrant and creative and reflective and almost celebratory. I mean, if you read the text of his booklet, you will see that he was brutally frank. Mm. But in that frankness, it wasn't just about things that he was sad about, it was also about things he was happy about, things he'd aspired to. And it was a gift to his friends as well. So my, I did have a concern that I would become too emotional to tell it Mm. well enough for an audience who didn't know or care about him to get it but I was okay tell tell us a bit more about you you seem also like Tim multi-talented multifaceted well I've <laughs> been a lot of places so not... <laughs> <laughs> um, there's no pattern or, or plan to my life I've just been very lucky with who I've met opportunities I've had mm. and to some degree choices I've made okay. to me the life of a RAF air traffic controller, stroke barrister, stroke publisher, stroke photographer is a completely rational part. <laughs> However, <laughs> I know that doesn't sound it, but yeah. all those decisions made sense at the time. And in different ways, they all feed into what I do now.
All right. Well, there you have it. The long journey back from Clapham to Chiswick. That was a that was an age. <laughs> that ancient pilgrimage. <laughs> that was like when I had those walks. It was. It, it was. <laughs> Actually, the, the no, because we're not women. We won't be allowed on those walks. Right. Omnibus. <laughs> so, what do you reckon? They were really good. They were all really good, but especially I was most mostly moved by uh, Robert's story about him. Yeah. And what was amazing about him is that it was in no way a performance. He was so... Like, he's a barrister, right? So he's used to so talking in front of people. Yeah, so I think all of them had some kind of public speaking experience, but not yeah. necessarily for... Yeah, in a performance sense. There was something like very authentic and I, had, I think it had a lot of integrity didn't it the story yeah, itself yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. it would be difficult to do that and and make it somehow but he but he didn't make it dramatic no which no he could that's have what done. I'm yeah, yeah, yeah 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 he was just just talking about it which is yeah. really it was really sweet it was very really nice what about Lucy yeah like amazing example of somebody finding out the thing that they're most afraid of in their whole life and then thinking oh, I'll go and do that yeah amazing yeah what are you most afraid of in your life well, I'm not going to tell you because that's going to be a future episode. <laughs> Damn, I thought I could surprise you. I yeah. thought I could get you. Everyone should do that, I feel. Pick whatever yeah. you're most afraid of and then go and do it. Unless you're most afraid of death. <laughs> if death scares you, don't go and do that for the sake of facing your fears. No. Like, I used to be afraid of heights. Did a bungee jump. No longer afraid of heights. Really? Yeah, I climbed the Eiffel Tower and I was like gripping on to the handrail. I was going up, like shaking like a shitting dog. And then <laughs> my brothers booked me a bungee jump and I've thought, oh, I've got to do it because they've got it for me. I yeah. can't look like a, a wuss. Kind of like the runt of the family. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's fighting to suckle on mummy's teeth. <laughs> um, yeah, and I'm no longer I'm no longer scared of heights. So mm. there is something about facing your fears. Yeah, good, amazing for her and great and great for sharing it. No, nerve wracking, I imagine. Really nerve wracking. <laughs> I really hope that that picked it up. That's my subway being digested. Let's talk about Ola. Yeah. Funny guy. Great guy. I liked, I really liked that thing he said about sometimes in your life you will have to explain the stupidly obvious to the obviously stupid. Yeah. I'm going to get that tattooed on my forehead. Really interesting to hear about life on the underground. Yeah. Not from a commuter's point of view as well. Yeah. It mm. was a bit of a class struggle also i hope that gentleman who spoke to him rudely is listening you should look at yourself in the mirror sir i hope he's not listening don't like him <laughs> we don't need your stats stats yeah yeah listen mate if you're listening turn us off right now yeah yeah what about Fayon? cool Ooh. name as well really cool name she was just cool she was just really cool. She had bags of energy. She was great. And, you know, she has the ability to get free flights off people. Based on her, her mind power. Who else can do that? That's amazing. I'm going to try and do it. Also, what was funny, or and a bit weird, was you were wearing a t-shirt that said New York on it. And um, she had two envelopes, and the story that was chosen was it just said New York. And we were talking about New York came up last week in... Yeah. And I've just got back from New York You've just now. just back, yeah. This is, this is a bit it's weird. It's a theme. Anyone listening in New York, just say hello. Say because hi. Because I reckon there'll be something in there that we're meant to see. Yeah. So. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I've never been to anything like that. It was really interesting. I'm not sure I ever will find anything like that again because it didn't. I've never heard of it before. Mm. Can't see why I'd hear of it again. I'm glad I've heard of it because it's good. I don't know what I'm talking about. All I would say is, um, to anyone listening, get yourselves down to Cl Omnibus in Clapham. Yeah. It's um it's on the last Thursday of every month. That's not the only thing that goes on there. It's loads no, no, of no. stuff. No, it's no, it doesn't open but for one day But this thing's always on the last Thursday yeah. of the month. Yeah. And they, I think they always have six people. 
and they tell really interesting stories in a really interesting way and um, it was an enlightening evening. Get yourselves down there. It's cool. Got a nice bar. It's really and cool. uh, they've got some cats roaming around and they're quite nice. And so if you've got allergies, be aware. <laughs> if you are allergic to cats, you can't go. <laughs> well, it's not that you can't, but you yeah. know, pop a Puritan. EpiPen. So Laurel was running the event. Yes. She's really lovely. She also kind of curates that. She she chooses these stories. When people submit, she looks at what stories are going to contrast mm. or balance well throughout an evening. She's like a fine art curator. But for the the pieces of art of people's untold stories at that point. Right then, join us in a couple of weeks' time where we'll be getting all kinds of silly in all kinds of weird yeah, places. Yeah, I'm very nervous about next week's coming out because uh, of... Well, I mean... You'll find out. You'll find out. You'll find out. You'll find out, mate. All right, then. Tutty bye. Be well and love each other and stuff. Bye-bye, my preciouses. (laughs) Bye-bye. See ya. The Curious Adventures of Max and Mitch was created, recorded, and produced by Max Wilson and Mitchell Hunt with artwork by Don Wilson, music by Bill Kassir, and voiceover by Daisy May. Find them on Twitter and Instagram at Max and Mitch or search for them on Facebook, Podbean and SoundCloud. Even more curious? Then why not drop them an email? The Curious Adventures of at gmail.com. <laughs> <laughs>